And Lord, now in this time, as we, as we seek you in your word, let it be amazing time in you. That we would be so blessed and so encouraged. And that we would really be convicted to the heart. That you would speak fluent us, every one of us, right where we're at. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for the blessing of another day to say yes to you. So have your way now, we pray. By the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to every one of us individually, right where we need to hear you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, captivate us in your word. And may we have so much fun discovering you today. And if there be any who have yet to know you as their Lord and Savior, yet let this be the day of their salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me, don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scripture, let the Bible have the final say. Now, if you don't have a Bible or it's not an app on your phone or whatever, raise your hand. David wants to give one. He will jaunter over to you right now and you'll even see what a jaunter looks like as David. <laughs> it's like a production. It's, I love that about David. It's always done with flowers. I think Shirley was raising her hand too. I think she just wanted to see you jaunt her one more time. She was just playing there. <laughs> and we're going to spend a, a Sunday in John chapter 1. You know, I, I don't know about you, but have you ever wondered what it was like when Jesus started ministry? I mean, we know he was baptized and the Holy Spirit landed upon him like a dove, you know, and John testifies. And, I mean, you, you think that Jesus kind of went, here I come to save the day, and like everyone just showed up? Or did he actually start in such a way that it was sort of like it gained some momentum? Well, what we're going to find in John chapter 1 is exactly that. It's sort of like a week in the life of Jesus' early ministry. And in each day, there's an increasing involvement with Jesus. And I want to challenge you and ask you, which of these days are you right now? I'm not talking about back when. We're talking about what you might think heroically in your head. But today... What day would you find yourself in if Jesus was starting this ministry today? Today. So look at it with me. We're starting in John chapter 1, verse 19. And then we read. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews send priests and Levites to Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And they said to him, well, then who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, which is Isaiah 40, verse 3, by the way, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, well then why do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered and he said, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Now these things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, 
where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who was preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and remained on him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Ravi, which is to say translated teacher, Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. It was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Kephas. Just translated, Rocky. Yo. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and he said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, which was also the city of Andrew and Peter. Well, Philip found Nathanael. And he said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Now Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, Hmm, how do you know me? Jesus answered, and he said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and he said to him, Ravi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and he said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. We have four days listed here. Notice in verses 19 through 28 it says, this is the testimony. Then in verse 29 through 34 we read the next day. And then in 35 to 42 the following day. And then the following day again in 43 through 51, the end of the chapter. And might I suggest to you, But each of these days, again, shows a unique level of involvement or commitment. 
Now, in the first particular case, and each one of them, again, let's sort of put a title to it. So let's just make it simple. Let's just say the first day of the, let's say the first day was Monday. So what we have is Monday this happened, Tuesday this happened, Wednesday this happened, Thursday this happened. The first day, then, look at verse 19 with me. What we have is really, if you look at it, there will be the Monday inquirer. The person who is, they might say they're gathering information. Now there will be a problem with that. And the problem with that is that they're asking about the periphery. But what they're not asking are the important questions. And notice, by the way, that when they ask all of this, they say, we need to be able to give an answer to those who sent us. You know what that means? That they're gathering information. Hear me, hear me. They're gathering information, but for no personal involvement. And I want to warn you, that could be you today. That could be me today if I'm not careful. Where I do want to be informed. I want the information, but I'm really not looking at getting it for me particularly. Now you can watch this as a pastor. It's one of the fun things you get to watch are the holy elbows. You know, when you're reading some particular text and you're particularly seeing a point brought out and you see the wife go like this to her husband and the, obviously the point is she's kind of going, Honey, you're hearing this, right? Because this is, this is clearly... Have you ever heard a part of a message and you've gone, Oh, well that is... Why isn't that person here? And, oh, that person... I better get the message. I better download the MP3 and say, You need to listen to this subtly to let them know that you need to change something and I just want you to hear it from someone else. But the strange thing is, they're not here, and you are. And that's a bit of a problem. Because clearly God saw fit to bring you here to hear this. Here's the interesting thing. And I want to warn you, because if you are going to serve Christ in ministry, which, by the way, my heart's desire is that every one of you would. This particular type of person, if we will, the Monday Inquirer will come to you. They will not ask questions about Jesus. It will never be about Jesus. It will be about Christianity. It will be about the politic, or the history, or some other point that it's like, who was Cain's wife, as if it ever mattered to anyone but Cain. I usually like to ask when they ask that, why do you care? She's clearly married. Why are you asking? And we get to this, look at this with me, the questions they ask. There is a theme, servants of the Lord. Those of you who have said yes to Jesus, listen to what happens when such an individual approaches you. Listen if you can hear their theme. This is the testimony of John, verse 19 again. When the Jews sent priests and Levites to ask them, Who are you? He said, I'm not the Christ. They said, well then, what then? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent? What do you have to say about yourself? Do you see what they're asking? Here's the problem. We love to talk about ourselves. But we are not the Savior. Not by the way for which we should all say hallelujah. Because if you were the Savior, or I was the Savior, we would have a faulty one. We would have a broken one. An imperfect one that needs to sleep and slumber. Certainly much more than I'm granting my body permission to do at the moment. 
But there is a God who never sleeps nor slumbers that is perfect, perfectly in love with you, and perfectly willing to save you by grace. But here's the danger. Someone says, Bjorn, I heard you were a Christian. What do you have to say about your Christianity? What kind of Christian are you? What church do you belong to? What do you do? What are your practices? And we can start getting to this point, and please hear me, where we feel like it's our job to defend. And what we'll see for those of you who will come on Wednesday for the Joshua study is that God wants God's people on the offense. If we're not on the offense, the best we can do is keep the ground we have. But no lives get changed other than at best the people that are with us try to stay a little bit beyond complacent. But there is an endless sea of lost people who really need the saving love of Jesus Christ. And we would rather dust off a book and defend our position because we don't want to look stupid in front of somebody who's coming at us versus being on the offense and saying, what are you going to do about Jesus Christ? So hear me, they're asking, well, what about you? How long have you been a Christian? You could start there, but notice John doesn't play any games. They're like, so who are you? And he goes, I'm not the Christ. Guess where he's pointing it? Well, let me start with this. I think we need to realize a whole bunch of things here if we're going to be the servant that John was. One is, we're not the Christ. I know you know that intrinsically in your head, but do you know that in your heart? Have you ever spoken with somebody going, oh man, if I had only shared this point. It's if somehow you were the person that was going to convert somebody to Christianity. Listen, that's like a farmer laying awake at night going, if only I had planted that seed four centimeters to the right, it would have grown. There's a miracle when a seed gets planted. Because you throw it in in the soil, you cover it up, and you pray. Then rain comes. You didn't make rain come. I don't care how much grass skirts you put on and how many chicken legs you wave in the air. You're not going to make a rain. My God does that. And he makes it rain and he busts open these seeds and he causes things to bud and flourish. And we go, wow. And someone goes, check out that farmer. He's amazing. Now, here's one thing, though. You can't keep the seed from growing. You just keep it in your pocket. Listen, where we came from in California, there was a fire that hit brush during the, winter, during the fall. We're talking August, September. It gets hot and dry, and you're probably aware of the fact California is much like that. And an out-of-work firefighter started a fire to give herself some work. Well, now she has no work because she's been fired because of the fire. And well, with all of that, she started something right in the middle of this area called the 41, and it's a very windy road with a sort of sheer cliffs, and it spread 10 times faster than the fire, than the bomb at Hiroshima, to give you an idea how quick it went. And it took everything with it. And here they were with this barren, smoky, burned out land, going, this is a wash. I mean, the good news is it was right near the ocean, so they were taking these giant helicopters, these military helicopters, scooping up the water and dropping it on it, which is kind of rough because that means you're putting your sowing salt on it, which tends to kill a lot of things. But interesting, there was an oak tree that they thought, by the way, was actually extinct in the area, but what they had discovered only blossoms in great heat. The casing on it stays enclosed until it actually is put in great heat. 
And the fire opened it up, and now there's a whole forest of quote-unquote extinct oak trees because of this great fire. Now, man could not have planned that. Man planned one part of it, but the part man planned was for evil, God meant for good. And here's the interesting thing. First of all, servants of the Lord. When someone comes in, they want to say, well, what about you? You're like, you know what? It's not important. Let's talk about Jesus. And you know what's going to happen when that happens. They're all going to get weird and all wonky on you. But truth be told, no one else, there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. It isn't like you go, you know, if you were to die right now when you stand before God and mention my name, that would be really dumb. God doesn't take group reservations. That's why he calls you by name. So he's like, I'm not the Christ. Are you Elijah? Are you Mr. Powerful? Do you know it's okay to be weak? Do you, know you really don't have to prove to people how strong you are? Even Paul would say, even when I'm weak, he's strong. Do we want to show our strength or God's power? Now, I'm not saying intentionally make yourself weak. But what I am saying is we need to stop trying to prove ourselves to be some form of avenger instead of actually letting God step in and save the day. Are you Elijah, Mr. Powerful? No, actually I'm not. Jesus will say he came in the spirit of Elijah, but he isn't the same guy. Well, let me ask you, are you the prophet? The prophet refers back to Deuteronomy 18 when Moses declares that the Lord will raise up another prophet like him, a deliverer. He's like, no, I'm not your deliverer. But I'll tell you what I am. Unimportant. Just a voice. But the message is what you need to hear. Make straight away for the Lord. So they're like, what about you? You're like, well, the Lord. Well, what are, I'm not the Lord, but what are you? You need to learn about Jesus. Well, what do you have to say? Are you this? Are you this? No, 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 no. Listen, God says he's here and he wants a straight shot into your heart. Will you let him? And that's the idea of making a straight way for the Lord. If a king were to come, the idea of it is he wants to make sure the roads were repaired so that he has the easiest shot straight in to the city. And what he is saying, what John is saying is, there is within your heart... A walled city for which God is asking for straight shot in so that he could actually be in and make his, make his residence. And that's what John's saying. And listen, how about if you go there when someone says, well, what about you, Lamar? And you're like, no, no, what about Jesus? And you're like, well, what about Jesus? He wants a straight shot into your heart. That's what he's looking for. Well, what do you have to say? Interesting that John would quote and he'd pull up scripture. I suggest you do the same. Well, that's our day one. So let me ask you, from the other perspective of that, are you a Monday Inquirer? You know, I'm going to gather a little bit of information, but I really am not even personally attached to it. Just information. Well, that's day one. We'll look at it then as we look into the next day. Now we'll look at verse 29. Oh, by the way, it is important to notice in verse 27 that John did make clear that he wasn't even worthy to take the role of the lowest servant. This is why John was so effective, I do believe, among many of the other things, was that John wanted to make clear it's just not about him. And you want to try to compare him to Jesus, there's no comparison. In verse 29, we have our second day. So now we're on Tuesday. So we have the Monday Inquirer. On Tuesday, we read this in verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I've said, After me comes a man who was preferred before me, for he was before me. 
Now, if you read the Gospel of Luke, what you'll discover is that John on earth, in physical form, was six months older than his cousin Jesus. I imagine it was a bit shocking when he knows the Messiah is coming and then sees Jesus coming. What's interesting is John makes clear in verse 33, I did not know him. But God said, this is how you will. So understand, when we look at these gospel accounts and we see them on movie, and Jesus sort of shows up, right? And John starts going, I should be baptized. You would understand, John did not know Jesus was the Messiah. And that's what he makes clear here in testimony. But Jesus' life was so much more pure than even John the Baptist that his life alone was testimony. He said, you know what, I I really should be baptized by you. But what he says on the second day, he goes, now look it. So here's John the Baptist. Jesus, he sees Jesus coming. He goes, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because I wouldn't even have known him. I wouldn't even known that this is the Messiah. I wouldn't even known that this is the Son of God. But God said, I've got to give you a really clear way. Not everybody has a bird land on him after a baptism. Matter of fact, God will make clear only one guy does. And he says, the guy that you see go into the water, and when he comes out, I'm going to have the Holy Spirit come upon him like a dove. Beautiful, of course, because that takes my mind back to the book of Genesis. When after the world having been washed in water, mind you, God promises us a whole new life, and that whole new life comes with the, with the promise of a dove. And I get the idea, and please hear me, because the world looks, and what the world misses in the story we tell about Jesus is that there's a trade, and it isn't just leave all that stuff behind. You don't get to have sex with everyone anymore. You don't get to get drunk anymore with everyone. You can't go out and party with everyone anymore like you used to. And they're like, and if that's all you're telling them, I understand why they're like, who wants that? Imagine if I'm going to tell Sam, Sam, by the way, here are all the things that come with marriage. But I don't introduce him to a girl that he would marry. He's like, who wants these rules without a relationship? But understand, the gospel message does not end at the cross. That's our, if you will, our, our we don't call them an intermission here. What do we call them? I should, should know this, right? Thank you. What's that interval? This is our interval for a moment for you to think about what just happened. All the sin of the world was paid for at the cross. It's at the resurrection we give the second part of the testimony. And that's the part that says there's a new life. That's why we lay that stuff down. That's why 25 years ago I laid down my singleness because I got something better for it on the other side of it. But you can't have a resurrection without a death. And that becomes a problem in even some people's marriages. It's like they want both sides. They want to live a single life but have the benefit of marriage. And that doesn't work. We want the resurrection power of Jesus, but we don't actually want to see the old person die. Remember, the old person was me first, like me, want me, love me, think I'm awesome. So God, give me, my, give me your power so that you can think I'm awesome. God, give me your purpose so that other people will like me. And you see it all over. But God says, I want to give my power into resurrection power to those that are willing to die. To their flesh. To who they were. And on the second day, remember the first day we just kind of gathered a little bit of information, but it wasn't even for us. John is giving testimony, and there's some brand new things introduced on that second day. Sin. We didn't see it in that first day. On the second day we do. We also see the one who removes it. 
And we also see the Son of God. Brand new ideas on that second day. But here's the most amazing part. John is with his disciples. And I remind you, a disciple is just a fancy word for student. John has his students. And he says, look, behold, the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the guys go, yeah. Nobody follows him. Did you notice that in those verses? Nobody follows him. We gathered the information. So maybe we say on the first day we might have been inquiring. The second day we were kind of informed. And what you find on this day is there might be people and they're experts about Jesus' stats. They're theologians from the perspective that they've read all kinds of books about other people that are snooty and they have all this information. But they don't even know him because they haven't followed him. They'll say, well, this particular person who lived 300 years ago or 1,000 years ago or 1,500 years ago has this or that. I'm like, yeah, but tell me what the Lord is doing in your life today. And listen, 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 beloved. The church has been fallen in huge manners in the last, I might say, at least 100 years. So this idea that if we could follow the experts, some guy that seems to have these doctorates in divinity. I'm not, I'm not against education. The point is, it is no substitute for a relationship with Jesus. My wife took a marriage and family class from a nun at a Catholic school. Now, I don't know about you, but to me that's a little weird. Because I know she's not allowed to get married. She's not allowed to have children. And I remember what it was like when my wife and I were first married and we'd be in a grocery store and we'd see some kid acting like, oh man, you know, and we just, we'd sound like, oh, I want to tell you what, if that were my child, I'll tell you what I would do. Until so we had them. It was amazing how you're kind of, Philosophy changes a little bit. And it isn't like every child, you know, it's like one child we can handle in one way, the other child, very different. I have friends that have had four children and they say, I never, I thought opposites were only two, but I have four children that are opposites. How does that work? On that second day, is it just that you want to be informed? Now, then the first day, you just want information. I, mean, I just, I can tell. But the second day, you want to be able to argue your points now. On that second day, now, I do have a personal investment, but that personal investment's pride. Well, I know who it is now. I can tell you who the, the Lamb of God is now. I can tell you what He does. The question is, has He done it for you? And I can hear people that say, well, I've been to church my whole life. I'm like, great. I've been in burger places my whole life, but I am not minced meat. The point, I mean, I've been in garages half my life, but I'm not a car. Just being in a church doesn't make you a Christian because it would be the same as saying, well, you know, I'm around girls, so I'm probably married. That's weird. You can't make up those rules. And on that second day, John is pointing out, he's doing his job. Again, he's not going, check me out, I'm baptized. He's going, look at, there he is. That's the guy I've been speaking about. There's your man. And they're like, there he is. And there he goes. Are you a Tuesday informed? Because if so, can I just say, John was telling us on that day, there is sin to be dealt with, and he's the one who deals with it, and he will remove it. But you're going to need to follow him. Knowing it is only half the story. James would say, don't just read the word and so deceive yourself, but rather... Do what it says. 
Jesus says, let me tell you, do you remember the story of the wise man build his house upon the rock? Some of you are familiar with that? From the end of the Sermon on the Mount, John chapter 7, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 7. Do you remember what the difference was? I mean, more than just being wise and foolish, what was the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? He says, he who hears my word and does it. Interesting. Jesus said, Jesus actually called the person who heard his word but didn't do it a fool. Because that's the foolish guy. He's quick on making sure something's up and it's up quick. So that everyone else can go, ooh, that's a nice house. But it won't handle the storms. And that's what you see. You watch people, and they kind of know the word, and they can quote it in advice to others. But man, when the storm hits, they collapse. Why? Because they're just not taking it to their own heart anymore. And you watch them, it's like, man, people come to them, and they're giving this beautiful advice, and then they come and go, Pastor, pray for me, pray for me. Because Now, I'm not saying you can't be affected. But man, is the information just in your head or is it in your heart? And what I've learned is God has this way of making the information get down by the impact of your knees hitting the ground in prayer in a trial. It's one of the ways of jarring it loose from your head into where the decisions are really made in your heart. Shadon goes, every testimony, that's the guy. And we watch. Here's the good news, beloved, is that if that's where you've been, can I welcome you to Wednesday? Because Jesus comes walking by again. Aren't you thankful he came walking by again? That could, I mean, if you thought, man, that was my only chance. He came walking by. I have no idea how to locate him. It isn't like he's got a tracker on him. He's not low-jacked. But we get to our third day. Look at verse 35 with me. Again, the next day. Now we're at day three. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his students, his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Gentlemen, not just there he is, not just, hey, here's Jesus, but you need to grab a hold of this guy. Two disciples that heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Now, do you really think that John had just two disciples? I kind of get the idea that some disciples stayed at Tuesday. They had the information from John that Jesus is coming. They had the information that there he is when he came. And this is what he's doing. But two of them listened to John and said that this law, that this truth and these promises are going to lead you to somebody who is walking right now. And I like the fact that John didn't do this when he saw Jesus standing somewhere, but he saw him walking because I realized that if I'm going to be with Jesus, I'm going to have to follow, not just observe. It's going to have to be, and we call it so, a Christian walk. It isn't a Christian stance. It isn't a Christian sit-in. It isn't a Christian occupy. It is a Christian walk. So day three. 
It says, the next day, John saw him. He says, no, behold the Lamb of God. Two his disciples, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. The camera turns to these two guys, and Jesus turned around, and he asks the most important question you can and on Wednesday. What are you really looking for? Now look at on Tuesday, John told us that there was sin, and that sin was, would be removed, taken away by this Lamb of God. And we know the idea of a lamb from the idea in Leviticus, that that is our sin offering, that is our trespass offering. I get that. I go back even farther to Exodus 12, and I remember that's the lamb that's slaughtered so that I could be delivered out of my Egypt, my land of slavery, out of the hand of the enemy, so that I could be set free. I go back behind that to Genesis 22, where Abraham said, now God will provide himself to be the lamb for the sacrifice. And I see that. I follow that line. And I get the idea why it's the lamb here. And I get the idea. And listen, 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 beloved. Some people will be like, you know what? I just want to know how to not go to hell. Jesus, paying the price on the cross, a lamb is slaughtered and sacrificed, just as we see throughout the entire Old Testament. I get that. But on Wednesday now, Jesus would say, now what are you looking for? You know, interesting, because Scripture says nobody seeks after God. You go, but I thought I was. And we even have, we had this movement back about a decade ago where we were, no, we weren't personally, but there was a portion of the body of Christ that was the seeker-sensitive church. But think that through if nobody seeks after God. What are you seeking? Truth be told, what we're seeking are the things of God without Him. That's why, if you think about it, most of the marketing out there is over that. We're looking for love, but not God's love. We're looking for peace, but not God's peace. We're looking for joy, but we'll substitute it for happiness. That'll be okay. A little bit of intoxication, a little bit of power, a little bit of purpose, and we're going to be okay. And you can even go to places where they still play that game with you instead of saying, wait a minute. And and I wonder what would happen if one of those churches, Jesus just stood up for a second and said, I have a message from God. What are you really looking for? And they're like, the Bentley. I'm looking for the job. I'm looking for the house. I'm looking for a wife or whatever it is. And God's like, that's funny, because in my house, I would have thought you were looking for me. And you know that, because we live in London. I remember that back, the same thing happened back in California, where there was something like, oh my goodness, I'm so happy to see that you moved to California, you moved to London, because I'm coming there. Awesome, because I've missed you, and I'd love to see you. Yeah, so can we stay at your house? Sure, that'd be great. And they pop in, leave their stuff, and off they go to see everything, and you never see them the whole time. No, I'm not trying to complain. Because there's certainly some people, they make that clear up front, and you're like, okay, well, we, we got the idea for the Holiday Inn. I'm okay with that. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, that's my surname. So anyways, Holiday. So, so follow me on this. It's somebody that works at Apple. And it's amazing how many friends she gets now. And I haven't seen you since elementary school, since primary school. By the way, I hear you, you get discounts, right? And you get it. Any of you like to be used like that? So happy to see you because, man, I need a favor. And imagine doing that with Jesus. So notice, by the way, let me make clear to you, excuse me, these are the first words Jesus speaks in this gospel. Is that kind of an interesting thought? 
the very first words that Jesus speaks. I mean, up to this point, it's been John the Baptist. Now Jesus turns and he goes, what are you really looking for? Because here's the danger. If you're looking for something other than Jesus, you'll stop the pursuit if you get it. If you're like, well, I really need your peace because my life's in such discord. Imagine Jesus going, well, here's the peace. And you're like, thank you, got the peace. I'm gone. I get it. I want his joy. I want his power. I want his presence. And we can worship those things like idols. But we think we're safe because they're Christian terms. I just want to worship God's presence. Really, what does that mean? Instead of worshiping God's presence, why don't you just worship God? Because somehow, let me just make it clear, the moment it becomes an it, you're missing the point. And so here we are on this third day, and Jesus looks and he goes, so what are you really looking for? And I think of, the, of all the people in Scripture, how many of them did God actually say what that guy was really after was a good thing? I can think of one. And that was David. Do you remember what David was after? God's heart. Remember that? And by the way, if you do the math, David, unless mom was actually putting out twins, truth be told, he was probably about 15 at oldest. And when God hands the former, or at that point, the resident king, his P45, he says, I found a man that's better than you. Now, if God were to do that to me, God, please don't. But if you, if you were her, and then I saw some 15-year-old kid pop in, I, I wouldn't necessarily think, well, there's my replacement, clearly. His voice is still cracking, you know. He can't drive yet. But what made him better was not his age or even his maturity. What made him better was what he was after. And I get the point here. Because when God says, I was after, he's after my heart, and he'll do what I tell him. I get it. So that when David would say, one thing that I desire, and that I am going to chase after, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You know what David says? If God says, now remember, God will tell his son, hey, I'll give you anything, what do you want? And he says, wisdom. He's like, well, it could be worse. But if you were to ask David, if I grant you one thing, what would it be? David would say, can I just move in with you? Interesting. And David could even build the house that he wanted to live in with God. He's now. Not a problem now. I think, man, could I be like that? Where if God were to say, I could give you, man, we could give you so many things, and man, everyone would know, and blah, blah, blah. Or God's like, you know, or I'll just be with you. Is that, an, is that enough? I'd love to tell you, yes. At good moments, I could say so. There are other moments, I'm just as big of a jerk as anyone else. Well, actually, I am all the time, unless the Spirit takes me over anyways. But on this Wednesday now, on this Wednesday, Jesus looks and he goes, so what, what are you really looking for? And they look and they go, well, where are you staying? I don't know, you didn't say anything. You know? And Jesus is, and I love Jesus' answer. Listen, Jesus is not coming at you with some kind of doctrinal hard, I'm going to defend the point. He goes, you know, he's like, well, you should know where I'm staying because it says in Micah. And you should know where it's at because in Isaiah tells you in the land of Naphtali. He just turns and he goes, come and see. Can I just tell you, my God is a come and see God. Because if you come and see, you're going to have to fellowship with them. If you argue the point, you never get to know the person, except, well, that person seems to know a lot. 
Which would be more important to you? Winning the argument or the soul? Which would be more important for them to know that you are right or for them to know that you're in with Him? That you're fellowshipping with Him? Now, I'm not telling you be intentionally stupid, but I am telling you this. That when the religious leaders saw Peter and John, they noticed that they were untrained and unschooled, but that they had been with Jesus. And I read that text, and I realize the term unschooled is the term idiotes in the Greek. You want to guess what word we get from that? And I remember every time I read that, the Lord reminds me, would it be enough if they thought you were untrained and unschooled, but that you had been with Jesus, you're still walking with Jesus right now? Would you, not to sacrifice one or the other, but when you had to choose, would that be the most important thing? That they see that you're with me. So on this Wednesday, Jesus is like, well, what are you looking for? And they're like, well, actually, I think, I think, I think I'm looking for you. He goes, well, then why don't you come and find out for yourself? Come investigate. Interesting, the result of that is that one guy goes and gets his brother, for which Jesus says, let me tell you what you're going to be, boy. They call you Simon. I'm going to call you Rocky. So on this third day, can I say, is the first day was sort of the the inquirer? The second day was the, if you will, the the informed. The third day is the investor. We invest, but listen, we invest carefully here. There's no abandon. We'll stay the day. And maybe this is the kind of person, maybe that'll come on a Sunday, and you'll be even regular. Praise the Lord for you doing so. But you're still picking and choosing the investment in the sense, there'll be other days where I have to back off on this because I might lose a friend if I'm really full on for Jesus. Because somewhere, and here's the point, the real point of it is going to be, where's home? Because though they're going to go and stay with Jesus for the day, they're going to go home after that. And remember when the guys start to talk, and we'll find this in Luke as well, where Jesus, where they'll say, I'll follow you. And remember the first thing that Jesus says? Foxes have holes, and the birds of the ear have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Interesting, the first thing he addresses is home. Did you realize that? And by the way, foxes, we're aware of that here, not a high rap in, in Scripture. It isn't like, oh, they're cute and cuddly, we should pet them. We know better here. They're thieves. They kill small animals, strew them across the, the roadways, and make these really sick, demented, possessed baby sounds at night. That's what we know about foxes. Birds, by the way, in Scripture also don't get a high write-up. It isn't like most of the time it's like, check out this beautiful macaw or anything like that. The idea of it is that God says, these are the ones that are seed stealers when the sower goes to sow some seed. Do you remember that? And they're the ones that pick out your eyeballs and flesh. Now, I'm not trying to be gross. This is what Scripture says. And the reason I say that is when Jesus says, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, he's like, this world right now is going to be a place for thieves and for murderers. But if you're going to follow me, you're going to need a different home. And I get why in the book of Hebrews it speaks about those. For instance, everybody says he sought a place, a city that had foundations. Not foundation, but foundations. Like the book of Revelation when we see at the end of it. Twelve foundations. And truly, if they had actually called to the place where they had come from as home, well, they would have had a place to return to. But rather, they saw a city whose builder and maker was God. That became our life verses for a while when we left California, because that'll never, it's never going to be home again. This is, as much as earth is, this is going to be. And the reason I say that is, is if something else is home but Jesus, you'll always think to go back to it. And you know what that's like. Try Jesus out for a while, get what you can from him, and then head back home with the, with the spoil. 
I get why Jesus is asking, what are you looking for? But what if we were to say home, and I was hoping it would be you? So the night comes and they go. But let me say, if you're willing to even invest that much, what you will hear today even is this is who you could be if you followed me. And that's what he tells Simon. If you're willing to start investing, one of the first things I'll show you is this is who you could be if I had everything, if I had your love. Which takes us to our last day. Verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. You see, on the first three days, the commands were simple. I mean, John was like, I'm not the guy you're looking for. Go look for the real one. And then it was, there he is. Behold him. But then Jesus, remember what the investor says, well, then come and see what your investment really looks like, what it's worth. But on the last day, we become followers. Not followers of a church movement, not followers of a pastor. Well, one, not me, Jesus. I'm just an under-shepherd at best, a sheepdog at worst. And I want to be more than an inquirer, more than someone simply informed, more than just someone that's a mitigated, relegated investor. I want to follow Jesus with everything. And on that fourth day, now that would be Thursday, Jesus says to those investors, are you going to live the rest of your life now giving me a little bit and saying that's enough? Or are you going to follow me? Follow you. Follow you where? How? Here's the cool thing about following. I don't have to know anything but where you are. Does that make sense? Hey, this was a really humbling trip, this America trip, and one of the reasons was that because I've been here for five years, my license in, in, uh, in California expired. Because it expired, I'm not legal to drive now anywhere at the moment. So my wife had to do all the driving. My job was to look at that little box and say, okay, in a quarter of a mile, turn left. And I realized in all of that, the kids, as much I was, you know, I was trying to be very attentive because I realized that especially driving in the city could be a bit stressful for my wife. But my kids didn't care. They were just in the back, and they just kind of figured wherever we were going to go, they would wind up too. And I realized they were just following. Their, their whole thing was, well, let's enjoy the trip while we can. And I get this because the Lord speaks to me at moments like that and says, hey, hey, hey. Are you following me? Because if you're following me, you don't have to know where you're going. You don't even necessarily have to know what you're doing. All you have to do is keep your eyes on me and you'll never listen. You'll never feel lost. All you have to do is keep your eyes on me and you'll never feel lost. So on this fourth day, Jesus says, follow me. And he does. And you know what's interesting is he follows him, but as he follows him, Philip, he goes and he finds a guy, Nathaniel. And he finds Nathaniel. And listen to this guy's ministry. He has been following Jesus for less than a day. You're aware of that, right? And he goes to a guy and he says, Hey, why don't you come with me? We, I think we've found the fulfillment of all the prophecies of Scripture. This Jesus 
of Nazareth. Now I remind you of the 11 names, the most common names of the day, Jesus or Joshua, Yehoshua was one of them. So we have to actually identify him by a dad or by a place. Well, you couldn't say son of Joseph because that would be a little rough anyways. So imagine, if you will, it's like, hey, I think we found the Messiah. Well, what's his name? John from Leicester. You're like, what? And Nathaniel, his first thought is he goes to the neighborhood and goes, really? Can anything good come out of that neighborhood? And again, listen, 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 servants of the Lord. Our tendency at a moment like this would be to try to argue, which Scripture never endorses. Correcting, sure, but not arguing. What he had learned was what the people had learned on Wednesday. Come and see. Why don't you just come and see? Well, I want to talk about Christianity. I can't represent Christianity. I just want to represent Jesus. Well, what about the, you know, the Inquisitions? I don't know. I wasn't there. Well, what about the Pope? I don't know. He doesn't invite me to dinner. I don't know anything about him. Well, what about that priest or this thing or that thing? I don't know. But why is that stuff? Listen, why don't you actually come and see Jesus? Remember, that was the first day stuff. And now people are like, well, can anything? Well, what about Israel? Really, Israel? Yeah, sure. Why don't you come and see? And hear me on this. Nathaniel is coming, unaware of the fact that Jesus already knows all of this, right? And so Nathaniel's showing up, Philip's bringing him, and Nathaniel's like, all right, I'll go, I'll go. And I wonder which day Nathaniel starts. He's a skeptic, and hear me on this, we're almost done. There's a big difference between a skeptic and a cynic. A skeptic says, I'm not really going to step forward unless I'm confident this is right. A cynic says, I don't care what the truth is, I've already made my decision. Now, Nathaniel's a genuine skeptic. And so he kind of looks, and as he's walking up, Jesus nails him, and he goes, and he's already done that the day before with Peter, so we kind of get the idea he knows what he's doing. And he goes, now there's an Israelite in whom there's no falsehood. And at that point, I can imagine he's thinking, he's looking at Philip going, what'd you tell him? But it's a nice thing to hear, isn't it? Could you imagine Jesus saying, now there is a real genuine person, a genuine follower, seeker of the living God. And so he's, well, how in the world do you know me? And Jesus says something that I think is so funny to me. He's like, well, I, I saw you under the fig tree. And the guy falls down on his knees and goes, truly you are, what, the king of, the God of Israel? But didn't he just call him Israel? Kind of an interesting thought. And of course, there are books about what this guy was possibly doing under a fig tree. But nowhere in Scripture do we read what he was doing on this. So I, I get this idea of God remain silent on it. It would be almost silly to try to fill the gap. Because obviously the point was not what he was doing. Someone's like, well, he's clearly reading from the Gospel from Genesis 28 because of what Jesus is going to say next. Maybe. Or maybe not. Clearly that's not the point. I'll tell you what the point is, at least as the Lord has shown me, that Nathaniel had a fig tree button. Here's the point. If you are a skeptic, not a cynic, but a skeptic, you're like, I'm not really sure about this, but there is something that if God said, this, if you knew this, you'd, be, you'd, you'd get it. He's going to push that button. Because He loves you and He wants you so much. He wants you so much. If there is something that you will believe if this happens, He's going to do it. 
So when someone says, look it, I would have believed in God, but my grandmother, who was 98, you know, and everything was falling off of her, she was dying and God didn't stop her from dying. And I think, you know what, if you would have believed by God healing her, he would have done it. But he knows better than you do who you are. By the way, at 89, at 98, why don't you just make sure she knows the Lord and let her go be home, go home. Hey, if things start falling off of me like that, just pray that I go home. With all due respect. I don't want things sort of taped on me. And, uh, you get the idea. And Nathaniel, clearly God knew, if I, if, if I just say this, if I just say this, he'll believe. So it's like, well, if the Lord just came and sat on the end of my bed, if the Lord sat on the end of your bed, you'd still think it was a delusion or a drunken stupor or something, because if that would have changed things, he would have sat on your bed a long time ago. He's like, look, I saw you. And here's the cool thing. On this day four, when we follow him, what we start to discover is more than just who he'll make us, that he's known us the whole time. And he says this. Wow, you thought that was impressive. This little, I saw you under the fig tree thing, for which smart people are still trying to figure out. You're going to see heaven open. And remember that story back in Genesis 28? Jacob running from his brother because he had gotten what God promised him, but not God's way. You've got to let God do what God promises His way, or you'll never be able to tell your friends and family and children and grandchildren how God did it. It's like, remember when Jacob running, his brother's coming at him, he's going to kill him. Jacob is freaking out. He kind of sends everyone else away. And it's, what a selfless guy. He sends everything else in front of him. Maybe he'll be too tired to kill me once he killed everyone else. And he's laying there, and he puts his head on a pillow, and God shows him an escalator. There's heaven, and there's earth, and somehow in between there's this bridge, this thing for which messengers, that's what angels are, right, are coming and going, and he kind of looks, and he's like, whoa, and he calls the place the Gator House of God. Wow. This is it right here. And listen, Jesus is saying, if you're willing to follow me, if you're willing to do more than just know stuff about me, become an expert in my stats, but follow me, I'm going to show you how heaven and earth connect. And you know where they connect? At Jesus. Because it wasn't just coming, it was coming and going. I like that. How heaven comes down and how earth rises up, it's going to be Jesus. God came down, it's the cross. And it's the resurrection, that's how man comes up. Interesting, because this thing started with Jesus' baptism, where someone went down and someone came up, and at the end of this, it, start, it ends with where one comes down, heaven comes down, and earth comes up. And I get it. And here's my question to you. Will you follow Jesus with me? Not follow me, but follow Jesus with me. Because the cool part about it is, He's going to show you so much more than just who you could become. He's going to show you Him in such a way that when Paul is about to die, the writer of, if we were counting by books, half of the New Testament, he says, For I know whom I have believed. At the end of his life, he's like, You know what I know more than anything? Who? Not what? I know Him. 
When John writes 1 John, and he writes, I write to you children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. I get it. I write to you young men because you are strong and you've overcome the wicked one and the word of God lives in you. I get it. But it doesn't go children, young men, old men. He says children, young men, and fathers. Because in Christ, we become fruitful, not just old. He says, I write to you children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. And you know him who was from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and you've overcome the wicked one. And the word of God lives in you. And I write to you fathers because you've known him. From the beginning. And I get it. It's like in the end of it all, you know what it's about? Knowing him. Not knowing about him. Knowing him. And I can tell you about Jesus, not just from the book. And I, by the way, I love this book because it's revealed God unchangingly, clearly, and undeniably. But in that book, Jesus says, Follow me, because I get the idea that now that book has to live. And people go, We need to make this book applicable to the world around us. Listen, listen, listen. The world, try to make church applicable to a world that's irrelevant. The problem is not the church, the problem is the world. And we feel like, well, we need to connect more to the world. Well, the problem is the world doesn't think we're any different. What we need to be is more heavenly so the world will go, wow, that's strange. Let's go look in that. If what they think is we're not different in any way than them, why would they even care? They'd rather sleep. But the way that the Bible becomes applicable to the world around us is through human beings because we're supposed to be living epistles. And so what happens is God says, look at, let that word live in you, but you've got to follow me so I can manifest in you. So world people look and go, wow, if Jesus is anything like that guy, I want to know him. So let me ask you a question. Where are you today? Are you on Monday? Still here? I'm going to get information, but it probably isn't going to be for me anyway. I'm just the inquirer. I answer you say, I want to get more information to argue now. I'm going to personally invest it, but not for God's purposes. I'm going to be the informed. Are you going to be that day on Wednesday where now I'm investing, but I'm investing carefully. I'm investing with very good discretion, or so I think. I'm picking and choosing my yes to God. God, I'll follow you. Just don't take me anywhere weird, like the prostitute or the leper. Or someone's tomb that's been dead so long he stinketh. Or to your own cross. Don't take me there. Don't take me to my cross. Don't make me really have to pick up my cross and follow you. Let me just kind of live in a life where you just give me stuff. Let me remind you, Jesus is like, what are you really looking for? Because if you really are looking for a resurrected life, well then the old's got to die. Or, or do you want to follow? I mean, follow in a way that he will follow you, that you will follow him to really weird places, to do really cool things, to see the world change, to see heaven and earth connect in a human being. On Friday, we saw that. We followed Jesus to Terracina and on the beach. Bikini clad people surrounding people dressed in suits and ties. And we gave a message and watched heaven and earth connect as human beings accepted the gift of Jesus Christ. Today, that could happen here. 
If you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, let me make this clear and we'll pray and we're done. Have you accepted this? Have you accepted this offer that Jesus gives to do more than just get his stuff, but follow him? His death on the cross to pay for your sin, as John made clear, by the way, on day two, on Tuesday, if you will, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But the resurrection becomes clear on the third. There's a new life now. And if you follow Him, we declare Him Lord. Not just Savior, but Lord. And in that, I tell you that if you're willing to confess Him as such, God is willing to wash you clean of all of your sin, slay the person you were, or even right now are, and raise up a person that is free and pure and a blessing to others. But that's the choice you need to make because love isn't love without it. So as we go to prayer, I'm going to give you that offer. If you have accepted the gift of Jesus, can I say, have you taken a step back in your days? Have you gone from following to something backtracking? Can I say today, it's time to take a step forward. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for this beautiful text. I thank you for the challenge you've given us to, to do more, Lord, than just find out about you. But I recognize that that is something that some people, you know, that will go, okay, well, I really I want to be careful where I invest. And you say, well, then come and see. But as we come and see, you make clear to us who we could become. Stable solid in you. But I recognize to do that, I need to follow. And I first want to pray for those today who here already who are my brothers and sisters, who perhaps at one point were really following you, but maybe they got caught up like in Monday's periphery, in some kind of politic and in back talk or whatever, and, and they didn't even realize that somehow they got pulled out of the center of where you are to, to, to things that are so less significant, and they've used that as some form of launch pad to basically live a convoluted, Laodicean, lukewarm life, which you never intended. I pray today that you would speak to their hearts and tell them that today, on this day, there to follow you, to say yes to you with no holes barred, no limitations. No, you can have this, but not this in my life, Lord. But Lord, today that you'd say, you know, I give you everything. As much as I know what everything is, I give it to you. And Lord, please right now, speak that to our hearts. Believers, if you want to pray this with me, I'm just praying this prayer and just say, Lord, if there's anything in my life that's keeping me from following you as I should, eradicate it from me so that today, Lord, I would be pure before you, undiseased in my soul, healthy to follow you, Lord, spiritually in such a way that wherever you lead, I'll follow. To the needy, to the world that would seem dark, but if you've called us to be the light of the world, it'll never be darker for following you. And Lord, we don't have to understand everything to keep our eyes on you. We're not leading, we're following. Train me 
discipline me in such a way that I keep my eyes on you. As even Isaiah taught that you would keep me in perfect peace if my mind is stayed on you. But I'm not, the end of it isn't perfect peace. The end of it is following you. So Lord, reignite within me that desire to abandon anything and everything else to follow you at any cost, recognizing that there's nothing that I will leave behind that you will not replace with better. Even if I don't see it immediately, give me such faith, I pray. And while believers are dealing with that right now, those who have formerly, at one point or another, confessed, if, you've not, if you're not sure if you've ever accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, or today you know you haven't, I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And at the end, if you agree, I ask you to give a confident and resounding Amen. And what you're saying is, that's my prayer now. I agree with that, so be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God, I confess to you, like every human being, I'm a sinner. I'm faulty in my thinking and in my ways. I'm not perfect. You've never expected me to be. But I lay before you the crimes of my heart and mind the diseases of my soul, and I lay them before you, confessing that Jesus came to earth and died on that cross to pay for them all. As the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, not just kind of washes over it or gives it a new paint job, you came to take it away. Take it away. I don't want to be ruled by it anymore. I don't want it to be an element of my life at all. Take it away completely. And give me the new life that is promised at that resurrection. That it would be more than me just handing over the the junk of my life, but rather me handing you my life and allowing you to make me the new creation. Give me the new life you promised. And if Jesus really did die on the cross and and resurrect just like Scripture promised, for me personally, then I say yes. Yes to following Jesus, confessing Him as my Savior and Lord. I choose to follow Him now. I don't even have to know where I'm going. I just want to say, well, then be that in my life. I'm yours. You've paid for me at the cross. I'm yours. I give myself to you in Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Lord, so now for those who've made that choice today, cement it in their hearts, solidify it, set our foreheads like flint, and Lord, may we follow you now not watching what it is that we think we might lose, but rather with our eyes on you, knowing that following you is a great and the greatest gain. In Jesus' name, amen.